give us the patience to wait just a little while longer while that fruit forms until we can eat of it, until we can feed it to others. Amen. So, um, Steph and I just got back, although it's weird. It's weird you get back, and then like that first week, you feel like you're freshly back, and then two weeks later, it feels like it's been a really long time since you were gone. Um, but we, we just went on a three-week-ish road trip back to the Pacific Northwest, where our families are, and saw them for the first time in many years. Um, and while we were there, we got to end on the way there and back, we got to see some really amazing things. We went through Yellowstone and saw all of the um, wondrous things that the Lord has created there, um, hot springs and, and minerals and that make rainbows and steam and all that, while experiencing um, periodic hailstorms too. So that was kind of wondrous and <laughs> added adventure to what would have already been adventurous. But... Um, we also got to see, so we've been many times because our families are around the Portland, Oregon area. There is a river called the Columbia River that flows out into the ocean. Um, it's a huge river, and it goes through a gorge, which is steep-sided gorge, and there's roads on either side, and um, the kind of main avenue um, out of Portland heading east is along this gorge with this river flowing through it, steep sort of canyon, mountainous walls on both sides, and there are waterfalls all along. And you can pull off onto an old highway. Of course, it's all, it's a, there's a big freeway now that goes down this gorge, but if you pull off the freeway, there's this old windy highway, and all along it, you can stop and see these waterfalls, and some of them back in the, like, the 30s, um, with Works Projects Administration were built up with these trails that go up to the waterfalls and there's bridges and it's like, it's something out of like a movie, you know, where you can, you can walk up these waterfalls and, there's, and, take a, and be on a bridge that's like right in front of the waterfall. And then you go up and you wind a little bit higher and you get to go across a bridge that's right in front of the waterfall again. And it's just, it's magical. Um, you know, it looks like the kind of things that they... Uh, design Rivendell, you know, in their imagination. It's like this, but this is in the real world, and you can go walk up these. And because it's this little windy highway um, from now 100 years ago, um, it's not like the freeway, you know, all smooth and straight. It's this little windy road. There's no way to walk along it without being threatened by vehicles because there's no shoulders in this little windy road. Um, and so you're, you're going along, and there's little places where you can pull out, but it's gotten to the point, I think, I remember, from when we were young, um, when we were kids, young adults. Uh, it was easier to like get off on these little things and find a parking place and go up them, but now it's like, probably partly the internet. Everybody knows about these waterfalls now, and they are packed with people parking. So we parked at, a, at one spot um, where there was, there was a beautiful waterfall, kind of walked up to it, came back down, and we're like, okay, if we go the mile down the road, which we could, you know, we could walk a mile. It's not that far. Um, 
but it's along this, there's, there's this windy road, there's no way to way, really way to walk along um, it. But if we drive down there, we might not find another parking place at this point in the day. And this is the big um, waterfall that's like 600 feet of waterfall and two bridges that go across it. And you can even go up to the top and look down the waterfall, magnificent waterfall. And uh, so we decide, okay, we're going to stay here at this spot and we're going to walk to the next one. And the way you have to do that because you can't walk along the road is these little trails that kind of go over this mountainous terrain. Um, it's not serious hiking, but, you know, there's massive roots across the path. It's this narrow little thing. There were fires a couple of years ago that burnt out parts of it, and they're like, watch out, because the trail might not be in great shape. There's loose gravel. There's, this is, you know, it's waterfalls. It's canyon. So it's like you're walking along dirt, and then suddenly there's a chunk of rock just sticking out. And um, this is all to say that... There's a point where you discover you're in this beautiful uh, rainforest. It's rainforest there. Um, it's not like we th immediately think of rainforest. You know, it's not tropical jungle. It's a, it's a temperate rainforest. It gets enough rain that it is lushly green there. And the temperatures are pretty moderate. So it's lushly green there all year. You know, in the winter, it's a little chilly and a little drizzly, but it's not snowed in cold, everything dead. Um, there are ferns growing everywhere and just lush greenness. But you're walking along this little trail, and because of the roots and the loose gravel and the juts of rock, you can walk and go half a mile and realize all you've seen in this lush grandeur around you is rocks and roots and loose gravel because you're, you're navigating the whole time. And you realize, wait a minute, I'm out here to experience these magnificent waterfalls and this lush greenery, and I actually haven't seen any of it for quite a while because I'm very concerned about, like, where does my next foot go? Where does my next foot go? And the Lord basically said, this is, this is what you've been going through to me. He's like, this is where you have been and why you've been struggling a lot recently with just feeling down is because... I'm spending so much time making sure my next footstep goes where it needs to go so I don't tumble off of <laughs> the side of a mountain that I'm missing the whole point of why I'm taking this trail. So I'm going to start off in Colossians 3. There is something so rejuvenating to our souls to be in the face of something bigger and more powerful than we are. Um, you know, speaking to Sienna's experience that she shared with the lake, stormy lake, and the power of it and the danger of it. Um, and we as people have made most of our lives people scaled you know it's like we build all our buildings generally to be appropriately sized for us there what you know with some exceptions except for when we're trying to convey in a building communicate some kind of grandeur for the most part um we don't do much of that anymore and we 
build a world for ourselves with roads that are people-sized and vehicles that are appropriately people-sized in buildings that are appropriately people-sized. And this is actually um, wearying on our souls because we were meant to stand in glory. We've actually built a world that communicates to us that people are the middle of it. Like, this is something that's it's kind of fascinating, this idea of like architecture as communication. Um, and I, I don't know that we generally think of that. But every choice that's made, you know, in how we make our architecture, how we make objects that we interact with, all does communicate something. There's values that go into it that then communicate something. And in our world of people-sized houses and comfy people-sized chairs, we've com we, we communicate to ourselves that we are kind of the center of everything, that, we, that it's our comforts, what matters. And that over time does degrade our souls. And there's something, too, just in a natural place, you know, even the natural world recognizes this, is get outside somewhere where things are bigger than you from time to time because our souls need it. Although that's a reflection of what our souls really need is to be standing before the glory and the wonder and the majesty of the Lord. And our souls are healed from that constant communication of the world we've built that we are kind of the centers and the purpose for everything. Our souls are healed from that wearing and weariness that that brings when we have to be the middle of everything and the purpose for everything, when we stand before glory. So Colossians 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. So uh, some translations say set your mind on, as opposed to seek. Seek um, kind of sounds like run out and do something. But there's also set your mind on those things which are above. Um, a more of a change your focus, not run out and hunt down. Um, Set your mind on things above, not on things on this earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. A bunch of this came out last week uh, on Sunday, prophetically. And Steph and I had a moment where we were just in the car. I kind of remember it on the trip back, but she remembers it maybe like shortly after we got back. Anyway, it was clearly the Lord was both talking. And we had one of those wonderful experiences where you start talking to each other and you recognize exactly what the Lord's been saying to you in somebody else, because they just kind of spill out the exact, and you're like, yes, exactly, kind of moments. And um, the Spirit is talking about this right now. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you've put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who's renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. 
If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Uh, this chapter kind of starts off with this sort of metaphorical, you know, focus on the things which is above are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So these are all, you know, they're like really spiritual sounding things. And we, it kind of feels good to be like, yeah, and we can repeat these things. But they're hard to get your head around kind of things. So there's almost, um, we get to 3-5, and our flesh is like, oh, good. A bunch of tangible things, right? Things you can do, things you cannot do. But I want to point out, I feel the Lord pointing out that 3-5 um, through 3-13 are outflows of 3-1 through 3. Um, they are not the things that lead to 3, 1 through 3. There's a before and after kind of thing. Before and after doesn't, isn't right, but there's a um, what springs forth out of what kind of thing here. And even in 3, 5 through 3, 13, he's talking about putting on and putting off these things. It's not a well, you got to do these things, check them off your list, grit your teeth thing. It's not a um, you got to, you know, make these things happen, um, be the kind of person who does these kind of things. He talks about it like putting on and taking off clothes. It's an identity thing, you know? It's like I put on the nice clothes that, you know, make me feel kind of good, make me feel like I'm um, presenting myself well. I start to take on the identity of that thing that I'm putting on. I take off that thing, you know, I'm done with that. I'm not in that identity, you know, like I put on my work clothes. I feel, okay, I'm kind of like in this industrious place. I go out and do the industrious thing. I put on my nice clothes. I feel like I'm cleaned up. I feel like I'm presentable. I feel a little bit more like, like I can interact with people. There's something in this that he's identifying of um, that it, it isn't a set of, of principles you know, in the end, the scripture gives us all of this beautiful language and um, commandments and history. And I believe primarily it's a touch point for us to the Lord. It's a place where we encounter God. It's easy to take all of these things and turn them into these are principles that I have to say yes to, that I have to remember, that I have to like then take to everything I do and apply them, touch them. But there's something better than that, which is encountering God in them. You know, when we go to the whole, like, here's scripture, um, you, you hear people talking about, like, this is the best manual for living there is. Kind of diminishes the Bible from what it really is which is heaven touching earth, which is, which is God revealing himself, which is why it can't be handled without the Spirit and have any truth come out of it. 
because really what it is is it's a touch point for the Holy Spirit to talk to us, to lead us, to change us. It's hard to talk about these things without getting really sort of esoteric, but... um, But there is something in we can weary ourselves out trying to walk out 3.5 through 3.13 by staring down at that path and making sure our feet don't turn, don't go out of the way. When The Lord's like, the reason you're coming up this path is the incredible glory and beauty of me. That you're coming up to me and you're wanting to encounter me on this road. And let me take care of that path for you in the process. In January of this year, um, when we were talking through our core values, I talked about beholding and becoming, and then um, last summer, I believe it was, um, I had a really strong feeling from the Lord about turning the prayer room and making sure that it incorporates um, adoration and worship, that it can and I, I shared with it, shared it at the time um, in a message that we can make the prayer room all about, oh, here's my sin, Lord, fix my sin. Oh, Lord, I need this thing taken care of. But there is something that we need, which is just finding wonder here, Find, standing before the uncreated God in all his glory and seeing him and letting all of those other things be taken care of in that place. And it is a hard thing to do. We actually, we touched it for a while this morning um, where, where we just lingered in this place of wonder and awe and loving the Lord, and it didn't require any requesting anything. Um, it was just... Beautiful, but it's hard. It's hard to stay in that place for very long. It's uncomfortable. We run out of words really quickly. But I think he wants to keep taking us further into that. Not to the point where it becomes the only thing we do, but where it is as important and as vital and feeds the repentance and the intercession. Yeah. In the, I, I would say in the first, was it 20 minutes? That, that it was just, it was really, there was no agenda. There was just pure sort of like we're just declaring you holy, you know, to the Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yep. Right. And, and definitely, I think that's the, that's really like where it comes out of and the vision that I see 
is being in that place where, where those kind of things happen out of that adoration. And, yeah. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> right, right. No, I'm I, holding it in my head and repeating. I would probably destroy it. Um, what we were talking, so the question was about, um, like, where in the service that I would say that I really felt that place where it was just adoration, where it wasn't, like, seeking anything. Um, we weren't asking for anything. We are just worshiping the Lord, really being, you know, Him-focused. Um, yeah. The world's looking for this in a desperate way. They, um, I, don't, I don't know if you've read about the about what they call flow state now, which is basically defined by psychologists as when you get to the place where you kind of lose your own self because you are immersed in something so thoroughly. Um, and they talk about it a lot with people who are um, very skilled at things, where you know an athlete, an artist, um, gets to the place where they are being challenged by what they're doing, not so far beyond that it's frustrating, but to a place of where they're doing something that's challenging, but they also have enough skill to really do it, and um, they kind of lose their sense of self for a while and just get immersed in the thing that they're doing. Um, and... And there's a lot of chatter about, like, how do you get to this state? Because it's something, it is something that we also desperately need. Um, not the flow state, because we're doing some great work of art or athletic thing, but that point where we're like, it's the weaned child in its mother's arms. I don't need anything from you right now. I'm just looking at you in pure love to the Lord. Let's go to John 14, 15. And this is tied in um, to, to the first love and to loving each other. I can feel um, my need for wonder really desperately. And one of the things the Lord has been showing me is that we have manufactured wonder to an extent right now in history that hasn't been available. I mean, you can go sit in a dark room for two hours and see, you know, essentially pagan gods doing wondrous things. You know, the, the imagined um, extension of what a human being would be capable of with a measure of divine power. Um, solving problems and defeating demons and leaping over tall buildings. Um, what's that? In a single bound. Yes, in a single bound. Uh, we have such easy access to a kind of wonder that is such a snare to make us feel satisfied for a moment and then hungry for it again 
a couple hours later or the next day. But we, in the Spirit, with a place to come into his presence, with a purpose and a story that we've been invited into, his story, have access to a real wonder that we only need intentionally. What he said to me is, your eyes aren't open. You're not opening your eyes. There's a... um, Not to... Well, to overuse a phrase, there's a narrow way in this between two ditches. And uh, one of them is, you know, I've got to make this happen. And the other is, I can't make this happen, so Lord, just do it. And he said, no, you have to open your eyes. Um, He convicted me of, I've got, I I do art for a living, and... um, I have a pretty active imagination, and I don't use it very much to access his wonder. Um, one of the things he's been doing over the last, now oh, I'm going to make up a time, so never mind. Uh, recently, <laughs> months, recent months uh, at least, is giving me a vision of the city, the city we're headed towards, where he is the light in the middle of it, and it's transparent so that his light can go through without being stopped. And the whole thing is a temple. There doesn't need to be a temple in it because he's in the middle of it, and we're all there. Um, But I have struggled because it seems like it's down that road, and I can be really excited about that city. And I've spent some time, you know, Lord, show me that city. But I also get frustrated because I'm like, there's a lot of road to that city. And at some point, um, you know, the scripture writes about the king's highway through the desert places leading to that city and how it's protected. And if we walk on it, we're not going to stumble. And even if we stumble, we're going to be st- we're going to stay in it. Even though we're fools, he's going to keep us on that highway. And recently he was like, you love that city, but I made that highway right underneath your feet too. Can you see the stones set out? That's my hand. You know, this this is the king's work right here too. You love the king's city that he built, that he's bringing you to. But can you love this cleared off safe place I've made for you that you're walking on the way there which has to do with me opening my eyes to see it rather than just seeing wilderness and those lions that are making loud sounds on the edges and the scorpions and the ditches and the hard scrabble uh, seeing this right here I said John 14 a long time ago. (laughs) Let's go to John 14. John 14, 15. Which is to say that there is, it takes intention. We don't see in faith by accident. 
It's not passive, and yet it's not striving either. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I'll pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper, and he may, that he may abide with you forever. The flesh reads that as, keep my commandments in order to love me. The Spirit says, if you love me, keeping my commandments flows out of it. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I have actually, I have prayed, um, Lord, I feel like an orphan at times. I know I'm not. I know by the Spirit I am not. I know that you, have, you are not. You are a good father. I have been adopted. But I don't feel like it. And he says, open your eyes. I'll come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. Why will we see him? We will see him because the Spirit has been given to us to see him. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will, come, will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Um, I love, so this is John 14. So here's, here's John recording what Jesus said to him, said to them, but what he was there to, to listen and be told. Let's go to 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And in this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. One of the things he, uh, so he's talking to me about this path, right? The path that I'm navigating and looking down the whole time at the like, okay, the next thing, the next thing. I was, um, one of the things I've been talking to him a lot about is like, Lord, it feels like my life consists of, okay, here's the next thing I don't want to do that I need to get through to get to the next thing that I don't want to do to get through. <laughs> like on Lord Tuesday's coming up, I got something that I really don't want. Can you get me through that? But it doesn't feel all that hopeful because Wednesday's got another thing that I'm like, that's another thing I don't really want. You're just going to get me through to the next thing that I don't want to do. Um, that it feels like this chain, you know. Uh, walk in that path, but he also t said, this is also in the people that are around you. Um, there's that kid thing that kids do. I think kids do. <laughs> um, where they've got something that they're doing 
and they head for it. And the kitchen is crowded, and everybody's trying to do something, and there is no awareness of any of the other people in the kitchen. <laughs> they're going to that spot to do the thing that they're supposed to be doing. And it means <laughs> it's like football time in the kitchen. <laughs> and they're like shoving people aside to get to the thing. And, um, and it is not intentional. I am the most important person in the room. But it is also not, I do not see the people around me. And he said, just like walking that path, you're not seeing all the beautiful stuff around you that's causing, you know, that's, uh, that you're here walking this path for. If you're not looking at the people around you and seeing them rightly, you're doing the same. You're like, okay, we're all working together. We're making lunch. We're all making lunches. It's a good thing that the family's making lunch together instead of one person having to do all of it. But if we don't see the other people all in here making lunch with us, we're plowing through. We've got that focus of this is the thing I'm doing. And I'm not looking at these beautiful creations of God that he has knit me together with and seeing them for what they are. And that leads to, out of my way, I got stuff to do. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. And we've seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this way, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Same thing, right? Every judgment is the flesh's reaction is, it's going to be terrible. And it is going to be terrible. But if we can open our eyes and look at each one, when we take the time to do that, when we take the intentionality of going before the Lord and going, Lord, let me see this judgment how you see it, it becomes glorious. It becomes the right thing for this moment in time for the earth and God's glory. I think a lot of us could testify that we've had that happen here, praying about very, a specific judgment and seeing it change. that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Which is going back to that, um, you know, doing all of the Colossians 3, 5 through 3, 15 stuff comes out of really knowing his love for us. We do not, um, right, never mind. Um, we talk about shining. 
because it's sort of a shorthand way of saying sanctified, right? When somebody is fully sanctified, shining. Um, but there is a place to see in the Spirit, and apparently I've got Lord of the Rings references today, um, that, that shift in perception um, where the elf is just in her like clothes and her pretty clothes, but then seen differently. She is a being in two different places. She's in Middle Earth, and she's also in the spirit realm glowing. And if we ask, we can see each other that way because it's true. There is a time coming where we will shine radiantly to be seen by natural eyes. But with the Holy Spirit inside of you and the blood of Jesus washing you clean, in the place of faith right now, you are shining like that. And I am sorry that I don't see you guys that way as much as I should. I don't ask to see you guys that way as much as I should. I don't ask to see my kids and my wife that way as much as I should. But it, how much of all of the things that we are day by day trying to do, because we know that the good things will flow naturally, if I can see the road I walk tomorrow is the king's highway built for me to get to that holy city. If I can see each of you shining with a light that someday everybody who looks at you will see. How much of these things will no longer require a sort of grinding goodness because they're going to flow out of perceiving God's love and grace poured out. But it requires intentionality. Um, I had Matthew 12, which is basically uh, when Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for asking for a sign. And he did say to me, you know, you're, you're asking for wonder, to see wonder, to see my glory. And he did tell me, you know, I have given you enough to see if you'll just look. Um, it was a wonderful blessing and luxury for us to be able to drive across the country and see miraculous works of nature. Um, but that is not normal. That is not the path that you know we all get to walk most of our days. Most of our days, we are coming in and out of these four walls, and we're coming in and out of our houses and our workplaces and we're, you know, dealing with dirty dishes and floors that need sweeping and um, little bits of house that are falling apart uh, or cars or disagreements about who gets the biggest piece of whatever it is. Um, but even in those places without a stormy lake or a 600-foot-high waterfall, we do have 
wonder right in front of us. It just takes a little intentionality. Um, purely practically, I just want to offer um, maybe finding a different place in Scripture to visualize. Something that isn't the Revelation throne room, that isn't the New Jerusalem coming down. Um, just find another place. Let the Lord take you somewhere that you haven't sat and gone, Lord, I want to see it. Would you fill my imagination? We don't have anybody who has the thing where they can't see in their heads, right? Okay. It, there's, there's a rare thing where people actually don't have a visual imagination, um, but the Lord has something for them too. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't assuming. So since you all have it, <laughs> we can all use it more. Purely practically, just even this week, Lord, take me somewhere in Scripture and show me it like with my imagination, something I haven't seen before. So that I'll be refreshed, that I'll stand before your glory, so I'll see you in a new way that heals my soul a little bit and births more love out of me. Um, just pointing to the letters to the seven churches uh, the same thing Jesus knows, right? And when he writes these letters, he starts every single one of them with a vision of him. And he starts them with a vision of him that specifically answers. He says, start it off to this church from Jesus who is like this. Um, you know, to Ephesus, who lacks first love, he says, I've got you in the palm of my, I'm the, I'm the one who has the churches in the palm of my hand, who is intimately walking among the lampstands. He says, I am so close to you. What you need to know is me intimately close to you so you can rekindle first love. To the church in Smyrna, Um, which is going to be facing which is facing persecution. He says, "I'm the one who's first and last, who was dead and came to life." He's like, "You are going through it. I went through it, and I was resurrected. You're going to be resurrected." He gives them a vision of exactly who he is that answers the thing they have to face. Um to the church of Pergamos, which has a compromised witness, which has got the sin of Balaam, which has got prophets peddling um, their gifts for money and corrupting. He says, I'm the one with a sharp two-edged sword. I'm the one who cuts away the corruption, who gets right down to the root and on through the churches, which is to say, 
there is something for us to open our eyes and see that answers the need. And it's, this is part of the process of the asking, Lord, would you fix this thing in my heart? Would you fix this thing in my circumstances? Would you deliver me of this sin? Is taking a moment to go, Lord, let me see rightly. Let me see you, how you're the answer to these things I'm asking for already. I'm going to close with Philippians 4 if our response person and or team want to come up. This is a fresh call the Lord is giving me in answer to very specific struggles I've had in recent times. Um, And it's good, and I want to say yes to it. Philippians 4. Six, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through, Jesus, through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I just want to offer that this all goes together as of a piece. And um, we do a lot of asking. Um, But in the place where you are anxious about something and you keep asking and asking and asking and it feels futile, I want to encourage us to also make sure we're doing the other half of this, which is meditating on these things, the things of virtue, the things which are praiseworthy on Jesus, on seeing rightly his glory already manifest on earth. So that we can stop for a moment going, Lord, fix this, Lord, fix this, Lord, fix this, and go, you are the answer to this. Lord, um, would you just give me grace to open my eyes where I have, where they are ever downward at my feet. I want to trust this light of your word, your spirit showing the way ahead um, so that I can see your glory manifest in each thing you're calling me to into um, the glory you're manifest in all of my brothers and sisters. Your glory manifested in judgments right now. Give me the grace to open my eyes. Remind me, Lord, when I forget tomorrow morning that I need to intend 
to look for you. Would you remind me to do so?